Y'all let me know when we are cooking with gas here. And uh, just so you know, uh, maybe a little swearing tonight. So this may not be the most super ultra friendly child positive situation tonight. Hello, Johan. Hello, T. Rissle. Hello, Plato's dog. <laughs> Ideal dog is here. Yes, we're going to have a little chat tonight, and I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow your freaking mind, and we are going to talk about life and death. Life and death. We're live. Hello, LB Newt from San Diego. I chastise you for not being in D.C., but we aren't there either. Hi, Steph. Hi, Bubsy. How are you doing? Bubsy. Bubsy Malone. Um, love, Steph. Hello, James. Feedback in live stream questions? Yes, you can get your feedback there. I got a little bit of speech to be going on tonight that is going to, I would say, rock your world, but it's going to undo your sense of reality. So beware, be alert, be wary, and we will get it all on. Kathy, hello, happy Friday, Steph. Did everybody realize... Just what kind of a day we had today, my friends, that we literally had Friday the 13th in the year 2020. <laughs> I did not leave home today. Let me tell you that because it's important to be superstition. Let's see. What can we do to lift your spirits? What can we do to spread the feed? How can we not be demoralized? Uh, yeah, you can spread the feed uh, if you like, um, and uh, I, would, I would appreciate that. I guarantee you that everyone who's going to listen to this is going to walk away deeper and wiser than when they started. So yeah, free, um, dlive.tv forward slash free domain would be a fine way to do it. And um, let me just get to my questions and answers. Share the dlives on your social media. Yeah, dlive.tv, dlive.tv forward slash free domain and uh yeah there's no question it's um you know it's kind of a little it's a little tough i mean i'll be honest with you guys it's a little tough when i used to stream to six seven thousand people uh it's a little tighter a little more intimate now than it used to be but that's the way things are plato's dog says i for one have felt demoralized this month slash year well i am not surprised and i blame you not at all for that response to not go through that would be completely irrational. So uh, demoralization is a way of gauging the number of allies you have. That's what demoralization is foundationally, right? So if you are in a World War I trench, you know, you got your lost souls all around you, and maybe Wonder Woman is skiving up her female imp impenetrability down at the end of the aisle. Now, if it's like charge, and you expect everyone to get up and go forward over the edge of the trench, and let's say you're alone, <laughs> what do you do? Well, you, you get demoralized, <laughs> right? You get demoralized, and you go back down into the trench, of course, right? Because you're a sitting duck, you're a sole target. And so this is what we do, right? We're in this dance, right? So we're in this dance where we try and get the truth out into society. And it's really, really important to look at the enemy and hopefully win him over to be a friend 
and you're bringing all of your troops of truth with you, but you need allies. You need allies, right? So what happens? Well, we do our charge of the Reason and Light Brigade, and then we look to the left, we look to the right, and we say, holy shit, I'm kind of alone here. And then we have to duck and cover, right? That's kind of the way it goes. There's no advance without a general advance as a whole. So the, um, the reality is demoralization is a way of checking the number of allies that you have. Uh, let's see, why don't you save your replays of live shows on here? Well, they're up for a while, but you can, uh, you can follow me on lbry.com. You can follow me on rumble.com for videos. You can follow me here, of course, dlive.tv, dlive.tv forward slash free domain. You can follow me on uh, BitChute, uh, on Brighteon, uh, on a wide variety of video, daily motion, you name it, right? It's all over the place. So... Let me just um, wait for another minute or two, and we will get into this particular topic. No, you know what? To hell with it. Um, <laughs> let's just... Okay, this is the email, and I am going to blow your mind. Guaranteed. Stick around. This is a woman who wrote, Since I was a child... Wait! Okay, one last thing uh, before I start. My book, free book, a novel uh, that's really, really great. You want to understand the rise of political violence, why it's happening, what's occurring and uh, what to do about it. Uh, I wrote a novel about 20 years ago on the rise of um, socialism, national socialism, international communism in Germany, France, uh, Austria, and so on in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, the academic prequels to it. It's, the novel is called Almost, and you can get it for free at freedomain.com forward slash almost. That's freedomain.com forward slash almost. Get the audiobook. It'll, it's really, really good. Um, it's really, I'm very self-critical of my own writing, and uh, this is great. <laughs> this is really, really good. So here we go. This is what she wrote. She wrote, since I was a child, maybe around eight years old, I started to have what I would call a mild panic attack at the thought of death being an eternal nothing. As a child, when thinking in the night, these thoughts would creep in and I would go wake my mom, who would sit at the end of my bed until I could fall back asleep. She is slightly religious, but doesn't go to church or anything. She would never really talk about heaven, I think. She would comfort me by saying it won't happen, or won't for a long time at least, and just being there with me or telling me a story to distract me until I fell asleep. She uh, did this for me even when I was scared in my teens, always without complaint. My fear, right, the fear of death, my fear has never been it will happen soon, just that it will happen. I did see a counselor at maybe age 12 and again a few years later for it, but that was just me talking about the possibilities of what it will be and me not liking any of those and still believing that it will be eternal nothing. Pretty useless, unfortunately. Fast forward to now. I'm 42 and I have a seven-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy. Their questions and statements are starting now and I don't want them to have the same fear as I did, if I can help it. Growing up, I have never, even to this day, had anyone close to me die, neither have my children. My fear has never been about others dying, just myself, with what it is going to be. When my kids talk about it, I have taken to saying that it's nature. I have found that in the last year or so, that when I tell myself that, I find it slightly, slightly comforting. 
Also, I have added to the nature, nature statement once or twice that it's a magical journey. That was the best I could think of to say to elaborate on the subject. I don't want to go into detail of what I believe it to be. My daughter doesn't seem to have a fear. She happily talks about when she is asleep, she feels dead. I assume the feeling of nothing is what she means. My son, on the other hand, has said two times now that he doesn't want to die or for me to die. He doesn't seem distressed, maybe a little sad. I am unsure how to handle these situations and how to offer comfort or ease, especially as they get older and more questions arise. I have found in the last few years that listening to something with my headphones as I fall asleep to help my mind not wander, avoidance seems to be my best strategy. I do envy religious people who have comfort. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And then she followed up in another email with, oh dear, haha, wouldn't you know it, half an hour after sending the email last night and saying my daughter seemed okay about it, she started talking about me and her eventually dying. Poor wee thing. She wasn't upset, just a little sad. Just a little sad. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. I will uh, just mention that here. Let me turn off the video here. Help support philosophy. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. You know, you got to keep your warriors going. You got to keep your warriors going or the war is lost for sure. The war is lost for sure. So let me just uh, turn that off. And I don't think we need that. And let's just, uh, we'll just talk straight. Uh, let me just close the door here for a sec. All right. Are you sitting comfortably? Is the audio coming through? All right. So I'm going to tell you, my dear lady, and of course, all of you out there listening to this, what the fear is. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. What's going on is a recognition that we're largely dead already. We're largely dead already, and I don't mean that, you know, everything that's alive is dying. I don't mean anything goofy and pseudo-deep like that. Like, uh, but I'll tell you what I mean. You, me, all of us, we're mostly dead now. And what we're striving to do is to claw our way out of a fucking coffin, get to the light, and take a deep breath of non-fetid, non-decaying air. 150,000 years of human history. The amount of truth that can be spoken in a human life is almost infinitesimally small. It is almost, we are trained and programmed to avoid the truth. You know, what are the big fears that people have? You got your snakes, you got your heights, you got your spiders. Why? Poison, falling, death. But that's not the real phobia that we have. What we have and have had through almost all of human history is factophobia, truthophobia, reality phobia, fear of being torn apart by the tribe if we stand and utter any number of oh-so-simple truths. The enemy is not across the way. The enemy is side by side. We are a 
already mostly dead. 150,000 years of human history. And for about five years of those 150,000 years, for about five of those years, human beings, you and I and others, of course, we had probably 25% of the free speech we should have for about five years. And the five years I'm talking about are about 2011 to or 2012-ish to uh, 2011 to 2016. 2011 to 2016. That was the golden age. It was the heyday. It was the golden age where the people finally had a voice. No gatekeepers. Topics were open. We could speak and reason and grow and learn and teach. And through this show and your help, three quarters of a billion shooting stars from the very heavens landed in the foreheads and lit up the minds of people around the world. (laughs) Because philosophy does kind of land like a sky bullet on your existing mental infrastructure, right? We got about five years until the powers that be that are slaves to the state but are not necessarily the state directly. The powers that be were like, holy shit, people are talking? We're out of control of the conversation? People, the people we've told that they have to have a voice are actually having a voice? Hell no! Can't end any of that. Shut it down! Because truth is life. And those that keep you from the truth are keeping you from being alive. And the censorship, the silencing, the attack, the shutdowns, the brutality, the violence, the destruction of of reputation, the destruction of income, the destruction of relationships, the destruction of possibilities, of opportunities, the strangling of voices liberated by technology is at an all-time high. President Trump's legal teams are withdrawing, I believe, and I think it's fairly well established, because of threats. See, murderers and rapists and serial killers, they can all have their legal representation. But a guy who says, think they stole the election, seems to have some pretty good data behind him. No, no, he can't. See, he can't. (laughs) So it was almost kind of like a little tease, like a little tease, like, Okay, here's the high of being 25% alive. Here's the high of actually being able to say what you think. Because what they want to do is they want to seal your thoughts inside your brain. And then when you die, you take those ghosts to the grave with you and they never rise to haunt or trouble the powers that be ever again. Truth is life without truth. We cannot feel life. Because every time you stand in the world and you have a truth, boom, 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 bouncing around in your head. Bouncing around in your head. Like a bullet shot in a metal room. Like one of those crazy-ass rubber balls just flung in a squash court. It's just bouncing around. You got a truth bouncing around in your head. 
And whether you're with other people, whether you're online, whether you're giving a speech, whether you're having a lunch, whatever, you got that thought bouncing around in your head. And then what it does is it takes a run at your teeth. It takes a run at getting out there into the world. And what do you do? <gasps> Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Don't say it. Can't say it. It is that moment when the thought that's bouncing around in your head can no longer escape your tongue and your teeth and your lips and get out there into the world and do something of some kind. That is the moment that you know that you're a slave. That you have no practical rights. Like you have theoretical rights, but you have no practical rights. And you're not alive because you can't speak the truth. And the truth which should set you free is that which enslaves you. And you look at those giving you the truth and say, why the fuck would you want to give me that, man? Why would you want to give me the truth? Because through not being able to speak the truth, I know and remember and recognize and realize and have to live with the knowledge that I'm a slave. A silenced slave. You know, we're born free and crying and squalling and yelling and laughing and screaming. And then they get that good old movie Halloween mask, that good old Hannibal Lecter grill face mask on you and boom, that's it for truth, man. And that which should liberate you, give you pride and power and control over the natural universe is a predator that hunts you down and kills you in a dark, quiet place in the woods. And the truth becomes not something that empowers you, but something that tortures you and reminds you every single day that you're a slave. And that you have to carry the truth like a secret, secret ugliness from the cradle to the grave. And on our tombstone, it is written, you, me, birth to death. Good slave, you kept your fucking secrets. Good slave, you kept your thoughts to yourself. You did not disturb, you did not step on a landmine, you did not endanger the existing prisons of people's minds. You rattled no locks, you fumbled no keys, you whispered of no insurrections or prison breaks, and you had no free will. Because if the freedom does not exist to speak the truth, or your truth, if that freedom does not exist, you have no free will. I have no free will. So you got to just think of your life as a whole. What has your life been? This woman says, since I was a child, maybe around eight years old, started to have mild panic attack at the thought of death being an eternal nothing. Why 
is an eight-year-old thinking so much about death. Because we have usually a brief flash of freedom and possibility when we're babies and toddlers. We're not free as babies because we're just reacting and we can't really think. We're not that free as toddlers because we're still learning how to work these big robot arms and legs. But there's a little flash, and I remember it well, a little flash between toddlerhood and school. You get a flash of, oh my God, this is what freedom feels like. This is, nobody's telling me what to do. I'm not on any conveyor belt to have my brain sucked out by people in authority and replaced with slavish obedience and slave-on-slave attack matrix. This is what it is to be free. I'm in control of myself and I'm not enslaved in school yet. And then you go to school and you're told where to go. And you're told where to sit. And you're told, don't move unless you raise your arm. And you're told when to go to the bathroom. And you're told what to learn. And if you question and if you disagree. And and it's even worse now than when I was a kid. You say anything that goes against the hard leftist narrative currently running through childhoods and schools like a combine harvester on the fresh, eager wheats of new mines. Man, you'll get savaged. I mean, when I was a kid, it was different, right? So when I was a kid in boarding school, you would get caned or hit or whatever, right? But that wasn't as bad as the indoctrination or the programming that went on. And I was still allowed to have some pride of masculinity. I was still allowed to have some pride of my culture, my history, my religion. All of that's gone. All of that's gone. Cultural pride is, well, it's just Nazism now, apparently, right? Death is an eternal nothing. Because what's happened is, at the around the age of eight, you start to figure this stuff out, right? And you start to have your suspicions that the eternal nothing that you somehow think is statistically 80 years down the road, that eternal nothing is invading you and evacuating your consciousness, your mind, your soul, your humanity is being invaded and scoured out and disposed of by the eternal nothing. That surrounds you. That as you grow in school, you are shrinking and dying off. Your shell grows, your soul dies. And it's withered by the same thing that withers all. Human thought, human expression, human manifestation of the glorious and divine within us. What ends it for us? The two things, greed and fear. Greed and fear, greed and fear, greed and fear. Greed is the desire for the unearned. It's not, you know, we're all greedy for stuff in life. But if we're willing to go out and earn it, that greed serves a good. If we're willing to earn it in a voluntary manner. 
And you guys should listen to this. Bitching about moderation and stuff like that. Listen to this. I'm telling you, try not to get distracted. Try not to lose your focus. Just try listening. I'm talking about something really important here that affects every single one of us. And trying to drag me off into your little pet peeve at the moment means that you're, I mean, if you don't want to listen, then log off. Go somewhere else. Go watch a sitcom. Go watch a sports game. But listen to this. I'm telling you. I don't often say that. But this is really important. Okay? So just try and put your pet peeves aside and listen. So... The eternal nothing. When we're dead, we won't experience anything, obviously, right? I mean, life after death is about as traumatic as your life in the 18th century. Or the 19th century, when Democrat voters are born. You understand? Your life in the 22nd century will be about as troublesome to you as your life was in the 17th century, which is to say not troublesome at all. So what is the eternal nothing? Death is not worrisome because it is suffering. But death in life is worrisome. The eternal nothing, feeling nothing, feeling like you're dead. That is the great trouble. When you're actually dead, you're out, you're gone. There's no suffering, there's no pain. This is an old Socratic argument. He said, if death gives me access to the afterlife, I get to have wonderful conversations with the great thinkers of history. If death is simply sleep without dreaming or waking, well, when I go to sleep and I have a nice long sleep and I don't dream, that's about the best sleep I ever have. So you're either offering me great conversations or an eternity of the best night's sleep I ever had. The feeling of death is recognizing that the closing serrated orbits of the twin devils of fear and greed are shaving us down to nothing. And the problem is not that we're going to die and not feel it, but that we're alive and dying and that we feel. That we feel. We feel the choking manacled neck silencing of things which cannot be said. Truths which cannot be told. Facts which bring rage and violence. See, the greed and the fear work in two ways with regards to social media, right? So the greed is, well, if this person is saying something that upsets people, I could lose advertising revenue, I could lose reputation, I could lose this, I could lose that, and I'm greedy for my next quarter's results. I'm greedy for money. Because there used to be a time, and it's hard to imagine in the world that is, there used to be a time when businessmen, businesswomen, as businessmen for the most part, businessmen used to have 10-year plans, 20-year plans. When I was in software, when I was a software executive, I had to have at least a five-year plan. But that's not how it is anymore because 
there's so much money sloshing around in the stock market looking for the tiniest little peak and valley of profit and loss. And everyone's become focused so much on the short run that the long-term valuable health and robustness of the business is being sacrificed and burned alive to appease a rampaging mob in the here and now. And all it does is feed the mob. Ooh, you have so-and-so on your platform? That's bad. He's bad. You're a bad person. Blah, 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 blah. So there's the greed. There's the greed. And the greed is, if I silence this person, I get rid of this problem in the moment. But you see, I understand that that's simply an addiction. That's, if you've ever been a smoker or a drinker, like somebody who's got problems with these, with these things, right? Then you know what it's like. Like if you're a smoker, you're like, okay, I'm really getting a nicotine withdrawal. If I have a cigarette now, I'm going to feel fine in the moment. Okay, down the road, maybe I'll get lung cancer, emphysema, COPD, and die. But right now, oh, that's better, right? That's the greed. The greed for comfort in the moment at the expense of the future is the root of addiction. And appeasing the mob is buying peace in the moment at the expense of the future because you're greedy. Now, is it working? Well, no, not really. The, the bills are all coming due. Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R.com, where I do majority of my posting. Parler is grown five, six million people over the last couple of days. People are abandoning Twitter. Twitter lost 20% of its stock value because they projected 10 million new users and only got 1 million new users. Why? Because you don't have a CEO strong enough to say, is the speech legal? Yes? Then shut up. <laughs> to his moderators, right? Is the speech legal? Has it been adjudicated in a court of law? No? Then shut the fuck up. Let the people speak. Let the people speak. See, <laughs> if you knew the truth, if you had such a monopoly... On the truth? Why the fuck would you end up as a social media moderator? <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like the Oracle at Delphi. You're like God's encyclopedia. You know the truth. You know whether there was fraud in the US election. You know what the status of science is. You know what the data on IQ is. You know everything. You know the cause of all human personalities, that it's 100% environmental. You know why people are poor. It's exploitation. You know everything. And you can not only know everything, you can apply judgments like that. Snap, snap, snap. At this bullet blur of information passing by you, you can just facts check the shit out of everything like that. That's how smart and omniscient you are. And with all of that genius and all of that knowledge and all of that incredibly fast processing, what do you do? You become a moderator at a social media company. <laughs> I think if you have that kind of intelligence, you might be just a little underutilized. <laughs> That's what they should be doing. That's what Gab's doing. That's what Mines is doing. That's what Parler is doing. That's what Rumble is doing. That's what Brighteon is doing. That's what BitChute is doing. Is the speech legal? Okay. Good. Off you go, right? <sighs> Do you know how fucking stupid you have to be 
to think that you can pass snap judgments on the truth or falsehood of other people's statements about complex issues. Stupidity and certainty go hand in hand. Wisdom and intelligence breed doubt. Doubt breeds progress. I've said this for many years. <laughs> it was a friend of mine's boyfriend many, many years ago. He was a good-looking guy, just not that smart. <laughs> and he said, uh, blah, 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 blah. It's like this, period. It's just like th this is the way it is, period. <laughs> Called the period people, right? Blah, 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 blah. Period, right? There's no fraud in the U.S. elections, period. There's no fraud in the U.S. elections. <laughs> Just like there's never any insider trading <laughs> in the stock market. There's no fraud. <clears throat> you see, when there's almost no repercussions and literally trillions of dollars are at stake and cheating is dirt simple and dirt easy, trillions of dollars at stake no negative consequences, and it's really, really easy. <laughs> I mean, people who are confident that there's no theft when it's highly profitable, incredibly easy, and there are almost no repercussions, what they should do is they should take their fucking money, put it on a big fly-into-Iran-style pallet, put it out front of their fucking house, And then go on vacation. <laughs> Just go on vacation. Big pallet of cash out front of your house. Go on vacation. Wouldn't have a problem with that, would you? Because there's no theft when it's highly profitable, very easy, and there are almost no negative repercussions. Now, if... You won't take your fucking money, put it on a pallet, put it out front of your house. And then shut the fuck up about there being no fraud in elections, because it's the same principle, but a thousand, thousand, thousand. People <laughs> are so fucking stupid. Well, it's a programmed, right? They're programmed. <sighs> it's Russian disinfo. I just know. I just know. I just know. No fraud. I just know. Trump is Hitler. I just know. I actually think that comparing people to Hitler is kind of a form of Holocaust denial. Because it's kind of cheapening the atrocious moral horror of the Holocaust when you start using it to score cheap-ass fucking low-rent political points. There's a lot of people who died and... <laughs> If they, uh, so you know there's no afterlife because they'd be back choking the living shit out of anyone who compared their suffering under Hitler, just compared some reality TV star politician to fucking Hitler. Jesus Christ. Oh. <sighs> so this woman is not something to play for her kids of course but why is she at the age of eight feeling that death is close enough to rob her of life why because death 
is close enough to rob her from life. And we've talked about the one side of the coin, which is greed. God, spare me the righteous, shrieking indignation of the stub-toe banshee mob of political correctness. Just spare me for five fucking minutes and I'll throw whatever heads and bodies and brains I have to into the fire of your two-bit outrage. Just give me a few minutes, peace. Okay, that's the greed, right? Give me, I don't want, I don't want any of my income to be a problem because people are going to organize boycotts, right? The greed on the one side in a business model is opportunity on the other side, which is, again, I'll, you know, you can go to freedomain.com forward slash connect to all of the great new pocket net, um, uh, uh, me, we, uh, lots, lots of cool stuff that's coming up, right? Because, you know, you got to hire a lot of arts degrees. <laughs> you got to hire a lot of arts degree people in social media companies because you got to hit your quotas, right? Got to hit your quotas. You got to hire a lot of arts degrees. And you're like, oh, you know what? Well, they can't really sell anything. They don't know marketing. They can't program. They're not good at cleaning out the toilets. So what can we do? What can we do? Oh, I've got an idea. Let's just... Let's put them in the pink ghetto. Let's just throw them in HR. I mean, really, what kind of damage can they do there? Funny story, a massive amount of damage. Because they're going to start setting the policies about what's acceptable and what's allowed and what's not. And the carinators will mow down any originality they find on the platform. You guys, like... Seriously, read my book. <laughs> it was very well researched and uh, at freedomain.com forward slash almost. You know, get yourself a fucking education on the 1920s and the 1930s. Dear God, dear God, please, please go and learn something. And uh, don't be a period person. It's just like this, period. So <sighs> it is the stink of your own dying that keeps you awake at night. It is the stink of death and life. It is the fetid stink of your own humiliation as you have to tear out your own tongue for fear of being cast into the void. Because we've talked about the greed, let's talk about the fear. Let's talk about the fear. Right? Because that's what they do. They snipe off the extremes and then they move towards the center. Just like Antifa is now attacking the Democrats because they are kind of into violence. So the fear is like a teacher got beheaded recently in France. You've probably heard about all that. That's the fear, right? Terrorism, violence, fear, brutality, aggression. It works. It works. And it works upon sensible people who can see consequences. It doesn't tend to work on less sensible people who are not particularly enamored of looking over the close encounters glow on the hill of their own actions. But it silences the living fuck out of intelligent people who can read the tea leaves and say, I mean, listen, this is the thing. I wrote this uh, on, on Parler recently. Can you imagine? Imagine, I mean, I've had, I haven't talked to reporters in, oh, I've had lots of invites to be in documentaries. Oh, we'd love to chat with you. We'd love to learn more about your philosophy show, Mr. Molyneux M.A., <laughs> I want to be your buddy and tell you a story. 
<laughs> Stand still so I can shoot you. That's what they're really saying, right? Because I've never had a fair shake from the media. I've never even remotely come close to it a bazillion years. And, and it's, it's primarily because I empower kids, right, when they become adults. I, I talk to them about the ethics and the virtue of their situation and so on. And I've talked to a lot of people who've been real victims of incredibly significant child abuse, the legal ramifications of which sometimes accrue into the present. So, of course, the people who've really harmed children in really unsavory, unpleasant, ungodly, unholy, and monstrously evil ways, they don't want anyone out there saying to kids, hey, you know, it's really important to speak up and tell the truth and stand up and be, <laughs> do the right thing and all of that. They don't. They don't want that. They don't want that. So a lot of that opposition comes out of me just standing up for kids. Like whoever stands up for the kids, they got to be mown down, right? That's kind of the way that things go, right? But can you imagine? I just want, I want you to picture this just so you understand the, the world that you're living in. If you're listening to this show, God help you. <laughs> God help me. Oh, well, God helps those who help themselves, right? Imagine that, oh, it's a movie I saw many years ago called My Bodyguard about a guy who's being bullied in a school and he hires the big kid to be his bodyguard, right? So imagine this. Imagine that whenever you got into a disagreement, someone criticized you, someone undercut you, someone snarky or cynical or, or rational or mean or something like that, that you could just be upset <laughs> and, and other people with, great, with a great deal of power would rush in to destroy that person's life. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like to have that occurring in your life? Imagine how lazy that would make you. Imagine how boring that would make you. Imagine how sanctimonious and smug and inconsequential that would make you. That any time someone disagreed with you, your buddies in the media would just come screaming down like a stuka in May 1940 in France, and just nuke that person. Can you imagine what that would be like? Where the fear that you and I have about speaking some simple truths would be completely reversed that however much fear we would have about speaking the truth, they have the opposite feeling about telling lies. <laughs> and that situation where people's ideas are so bad that they need a Sten gun army surrounding it, shooting down anyone who comes close and questions it. That's how bad these truths are. That's how bad these arguments are. That they don't go for the mind, they go for the jugular. They don't go for the thoughts, they go for the pulse. 
And in any rational society, of course, the the ad hominem, the attack upon the person, is a confession of a loss. I mean, when I was growing up and, and debating with my friends, and I grew up with, it was just a kind of weird Malcolm Gladwell cluster of really, really smart people. They all went on to get PhDs or be business people or uh, whatever, writers. And we would just debate and debate and debate. And the idea that you would say to someone, yeah, well, you're Hitler. <laughs> I mean, that would just, we would laugh at that person saying, okay, so you lost. <laughs> I mean, sorry. I mean, come on, right? And the idea that this shit now has traction in the world? Well, I think it, you know, only uh, 5%, 10% of people used to go to university. Now it's 40 50%. So they just had to lower the standards. So now a lot of people, a lot of people are engaged in intellectual pursuits that they simply don't have the intellectual horsepower for. They just, they're not smart enough. They're not smart enough. They're not self-critical enough. They're not humble enough. Because there used to be this process. I remember this in theater school. In theater school, when we first started, you know, we were all the best actors from our local areas, right? Because they only took 1% of applicants, right? 1,600 people auditioned for the National Theater School, and they took 16 people, right? So we were all the best. Top, top mark. A big fish, little pond, whatever you want to call it. We were all, I was the best actor at my university. I was always in the plays. I always had the lead. And, and then you go to theater school, and suddenly it's like, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of other smart people around here. A lot of other people who are really, really good actors around here. And you get humbled, and then you have the teachers who repeatedly tell you, you suck, that sucks, that's bad. I remember we had some woman come up uh, who uh, was a very big method actress, and she was just relentless on people who did false things on stage. Man, it was tough. And that humbling and that breakdown of vanity is no longer occurring in universities, and you get people coming out Oh, this woman on Facebook was like, you're, you're never going to have any problems because you, you have white privilege and male privilege and la, 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 right? Like, well, how did that stop me from getting deplatformed everywhere? I mean, how did that? Uh, privilege. It's okay. I've got privilege. <laughs> Maybe if I had cleavage, but I don't. I don't have cleavage or privilege. So, well, I'm getting cleavage. But it's the fear. So the greed of people for the unearned. And the unearned is truth if you're not willing to be humble and reason from first principles and submit to evidence. The greed for money, the greed for avoiding the discomfort of the mob in the moment, the greed for wanting to have power and control over other people's thoughts. Can you imagine what sort of human being is out there who's sitting there looking at me and saying, uh, yeah, I know I know whether that guy, I know whether what he's saying is right or wrong. I know whether it's valuable or not valuable. I know whether it's good for society or bad for society. Well, fuck you. You don't know shit. On, on the other hand, it's not like I know it all either, but at least I'm humble enough to admit it. I think it's really, it's really important to tell the truth about all the various topics that I've talked about that have been landmine after landmine after landmine. Sorry, it's kind of important to talk about these things, and I've given the reasons why. Can you imagine what kind of <laughs> Cro-Magnon, low-ceilings brain-renter 
is out there saying, yeah, okay, he's uh, maybe one of the best, biggest and influential philosophers in the modern world, three quarters of a million downloads, he's had hundreds of experts on, written a whole bunch of books that have been read like millions and millions of times, gives great speeches, is well-educated, has been studying philosophy for 40 fucking years, but I'm going to be a squelch that mother. Shut him down. Keep him quiet. Can you imagine? I mean, come on. <laughs> I go to some physics conference. I go to some physics conference, and there are people up there with, with you know, amazing uh, physics insights and so on, right? And I'm like, no, wrong, no, don't like it, wrong, shut up, no, turn the mic off, that's wrong, I don't like it, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Settle down, drink some hemlock. Well, that would have been a plan in the past, right? But it's the rule of fools. The rules of fools and the rule of fools. That's what we live under. People have the ungodly vanity to silence people vastly in excess of their own abilities and consider themselves virtuous. Please stop bringing your tiny little side things <laughs> to me at the moment. Do this. Talk about this. Talk about that. You've got to learn how to listen, people. I know I'm doing the talking. That's fine. You've got to learn how to listen. You know, when I do a call-in show, I'll sometimes spend an hour just asking questions and listening and listening and listening before daring to venture an opinion. It's time to listen. If you can't receive, right, here's the thing. If you want people to listen to you, you have to listen to them first. I have done as much listening in this show as I have done talking, and I'm not kidding. This is supposed to be my show, Free Domain, right? I listen to the callers. When I do an interview, I will speak sometimes 10% of the time. And I've done hundreds and hundreds of these interviews, and I've talked to probably 2,000 people over the course of my show, where I do a lot of listening, okay? So if you want people to listen to you, you've got to listen to people first. You've got to listen to people. And people said, hey, you should get involved in politics. Okay, I'll get involved in politics. Hey, I really like the call-in shows. Okay, I'll do two call-in shows a week. I just, you got to listen to people. So if you're bringing your agenda like some big tsunami, what happens if you see a tsunami, man? What happens? What do you do? Do you run towards it or do you run the fuck away? You run away. So when you come to people who are in the middle of saying something really important, you say, no, 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 I want you to talk about the Great Reset. No, I want you to talk about this. I want you to talk about that. And blah, blah, right? No one's going to listen to you. This is my advice to you, and I say this to you out of love and care and compassion. Listen! One mouth, two ears. That proportion is there for a reason. Listen to people first. Absorb what they're saying. If you want me to listen to what you want from me, well, after I've already said, please listen to me, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to completely ignore everything you have to say. <laughs> because what you're doing is you're saying, well, Steph, I don't want to listen to you. But you got to listen to me. Well, that's not the way that reciprocity works. That's not the way that life works. And I get this is just a live stream and all of that. And you can, you can go and log off. But this is going to be an issue in your life as a whole. You want to succeed in this life. You need to learn how to listen. You need to learn how to listen. 
so important. Listening is the superpower of human interactions. And most people don't listen, of course. They're just waiting for their turn to talk. You might as well be Charlie Brown's teacher sitting on a trombone. Oh, pause. Okay, now I can talk. That's not a conversation. That's whacking off with somebody else's earlobes. That is not a conversation. Why is this woman obsessed with death? Because death is all around us. Death is in the automatic responses of people who are too terrified to think for themselves. Death is the rampaging mob silencing and shitting on people because they can't handle arguments. You know, was the old saying, was it a Game of Thrones? It's not even that old a saying, the Game of Thrones thing, when you tear out a man's tongue, you're simply revealing to the world that you're terrified of what he might say. Higher IQ is associated with a greater capacity for emotional self-regulation. Right? So emotional self-regulation is something bothers me. The feeling of being bothered exists within me. It is not coming in like some electrical wires clamped to my nipples like it's a Saturday night. It's something, something has occurred. It bothers me, and the feeling of being bothered is inside me, and it's not the responsibility of other people to make sure I'm never bothered. Right. That, that's, I mean, that's, that's a true statement. That's how reality actually works. Stimulus response is for plants and sunlight. It's for dogs and frisbees. It's not for human beings with triple-digit IQ. Right? So higher IQ, greater capacity for emotional self-regulation. Now, if you can't control your own emotions you will end up incredibly enraged at other people. Like, if somebody did directly have electrical Fifty Shades of Grey nipple clamps on you, right? And they're just toying around with the voltage, right? And you got, you know, flaming high beams nipple action going on. You're going to be pretty mad at that person. Why? Because you can't avoid that. It's electricity going directly into the hard and crunchy nip heads, right? So, yeah, you're going to be mad at that person because there's no capacity for emotional self-regulation because what's being impacted is your actual direct nervous system, not your thoughts or your emotions in an abstract manner. And so if you are not a smart person or you're not a wise person, and these two things are correlated, but they're not identical, right? And so if you're not a smart or wise person, then what happens is someone does something that bothers you and you immediately think that person is wrong I'm totally right, and they must stop what they're doing. They must stop what they're doing. In the same way that if somebody's running 400 volts through your nipples, you really, really want them to stop what they're doing because you've no capacity to avoid things, right? And when you invite people who aren't that smart into the realm of intellectual discourse, they panic, they freak out, they're out of their depth. And because they're vain, they don't understand that, you know, in... You can't lose an intellectual discourse. You can't lose an intellectual discourse. Because if you're proven wrong, you've gained a truth and you've also avoided an error. Yay! Good! If you're late for a job interview and the GPS says, you missed your turn, recalculating, you say, screw you, GPS! <laughs> you bastard! You evil traffic witch in a box! No! Ooh, thank God, so I'm, ooh, I'm so glad I got the right directions, now I can make it to my job interview, right? But dumb people 
get upset and genuinely and 100%, the period people feel absolutely that other people just have to damn well stop upsetting them and it's everyone else's fault that they're upset and they have to eliminate the behavior that's causing them upset and there's no possibility or thought that crosses their mind that maybe they should look inward, deal with their upset and let other people be. In other words, if you can't control yourself, you must forever and ever and ever control other people. Immaturity is tyranny. Projection is totalitarianism. We can't stand being corrected, so all who try to correct me are in fact wrong. Now, if that's your approach to life, first of all, it's wrong and it is tyrannical. And secondly, tyranny always grows because muscles unexercised get weaker. Whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve shrinks. Right? Now, if you think that you're going to solve the problem of being upset by silencing the shit out of other people, you're entirely wrong. Because what you've done now is you've taken a negative, which is, oh, somebody said something that I don't like, makes me upset, makes me angry, hurts me, right? So that's a negative feeling. Now, if you silence the other person, you've replaced that negative feeling with the positive feeling. Oh, the straight on bonobo brain dopamine hit of controlling someone else, of stripping their free will and substituting your coercive power over their sovereign consciousness. Oh my God. People love that shit. They, you know, they're, they're like someone going up to a drive-thru in Oregon. <laughs> Go up to a drive-thru in Oregon. And they'll say, um, give me fries and Coke. Oregon says, uh, sorry, we only have Pepsi. It's like, yeah, no, I, I guess I'll take the drink too. But yeah, fries and Coke. Get it? Because cocaine legalized. Anyway, so when you take a negative stimuli and you transmogrify it, you transform it into a positive stimuli, people get addicted really quickly. See, why does the left go out and try to get offended all the time? Because through getting offended, they get outraged. And through outrage, they gain power. Power over us. And power is a very heady thing to the dead. You know, the old cliche that zombies are hunting for brains. So when immature people, dumb people, get outraged. They're shocked and appalled and upset. Now, if you hear an argument that upsets you to the point where you get angry, you can't think, you're crying, you're whatever, right? If you get that angry in a debate or an argument or because somebody says something you don't like, then all you've done is you've disqualified yourself from intellectual debates, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, can you imagine? 
going to your math teacher, grade school, and saying, oh, my God. Teacher, I'm so upset that you mocked me and you failed me, right? And crying, and the teacher saying, oh, whew, I'm so sorry. Here's, uh, here's an A in $50. <laughs> Would you ever study again? No. So you, you then love getting upset because getting upset gives you the fuel to dominate, bully, and dictate other people. And it's forever a characteristic of dumb people that they love to control the thoughts and brains of intelligent people because that way they feel smart. So, why is she scared of death? Because death is with her and death is with you and death is with I. That we are largely dead already. And for those of us who were around... Like you could say, for me, 2006 2000 to 2016, I had 10 years, but, you know, the really relevant part of it was probably like five years or whatever, right? For those of us who were around during that time before the suppression and the deplatforming and the um, kicking off and all of that, and, you know, I mean, it's been a brutal year for income. Obviously, you know that, right? And um, I haven't really been asking for donations because of COVID and sensitivity to you, the listeners, and so on. But yeah, freedomain.com forward slash donate if you'd like to help. I really, really appreciate it. Um, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough to see those numbers. But um, that's a time when we actually got to be alive. You know that old song? It's an old eurythmic song. And, you know, better to have lost in love than never to have loved at all. You know, we got a taste. We got a taste of what it was like to be alive. We got a taste of what it was like to inhale facts and exhale the truth. We got the most beautiful woman in existence. And then we got thrown into a greasy dungeon with Rosie O'Donnell. Was it better, do you think? Was it, would it have been better to not know how we could stride the world like a colossus crying our barbaric thunderclaps of truth from the rooftop of the world? Would it have been better to never have known that? To be the one-hit wonder of the eye of the hurricane between gatekeepers and mass censorship? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I miss it. I miss it. So, most of us are mostly dead. Well, yeah, most of us are mostly dead because you're either strangling on the truth like a hairball you can't speak or you're killing the truth because of an outrage you can't master. Neither party to that interaction is particularly alive. The truth withholder is slightly more alive than the truth killer. But it's the old question of, if you are a slave, do you want to know it? Do you want to wake up from the matrix if you can't fight it? It's the old question, right? Can we speak the truth? And because they can't deny us still our legal right to speak the truth, they simply have to make 
speaking the truth so painful, so ugly, so unpleasant, that we'll just shut the hell up. And then the smoking crater of me and other people and so on, we serve there as a warning, right? Like the New York Post, right? And talking about Biden's laptop and, and other issues going on and so on, right? Well, you just get silenced, right? And why do they get silenced? Well, partly to keep the story out of the news cycle, but also partly so that other newspapers won't bother spending $100,000 investigating this stuff if they can't publish it, really. EQ is bullshit. Yeah, EQ is, uh, is bullshit. There's no statistical relevance. E- EQ is like the consolation prize you give to people with low IQ. And, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with having lower IQs. Nothing wrong. Perfectly human, perfect people. They should have equal rights. There's nothing wrong with having lower IQ. Any, any, there's nothing wrong with being short. There's nothing wrong with being tone deaf. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, right? Just the greed, the greed, the greed. Now, what do we do about... You gotta, you gotta, it's what you got to do about this. First of all, as I said at the beginning of this, and I'll get to my Q&A in a second. I appreciate everyone's patience with this. It's an important topic, right? So first of all, the truth is not a sword to be drawn at all costs. You know, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Don't be the only guy running towards the Germans in World War I. <laughs> right? Don't be, you know, that fresh-faced, apple-cheeked, eager Young recruit in every single World War I movie, like there's two brothers, right? There's the young, fresh face, I'm going to fight for king and country. And then there's the mm, cynical chocolate cream soldier, Mel Gibson and Gallipoli kind of guy, right? Kind of hard bitten, kind of cynical, kind of just trying to survive and, and all of that, right? Whereas, and the, the eager, fresh faced enthusiast just gets mown apart, right? The other guy probably survives, right? Be alert to your reptile brain for sensing danger. Be alert to it. Dangerous forces are afoot at the moment. Be alert and be aware. You know, don't give yourself, well, I got to tell the truth no matter what. Why? (laughs) You see a lot of people out there doing that. (laughs) I think I've spoken just about the most truth of any public intellectual. And... Okay to play a couple of cards closer to your chest until the time is better. It's a marathon, not a sprint, to save the world from error and lies and brutality and the twin devils of fear and greed. Pace yourself. Pace yourself. And for God's sakes, if you can't live in public, at least flourish in private. Find find people in your life that you can tell the truth to without fear. So important. You may be right, you may be wrong, but at least find people, find some cave of honesty. Maybe you have to do it in the social orbit of the rocks around Saturn, I don't know, but find some place where you can just tell the truth. I don't have a friend I lie to about anything. Find some place where you can Uncork yourself. Now you say, oh, well, but I don't know if I can trust. Okay, find people you can trust. It will take your truth to the grave if they have to. Find some place where you can uncork and vent and live, even if it's in a small orbit. Find some place you can live. 
I'm begging you. Or, for God's sakes, give up your pursuit of truth. Do not turn the truth into a torture device. A self-flagellating monk with a leathery rope stripping his back bare in the Middle Ages. Do not turn the truth into an attack upon yourself. If you can't speak the truth, stop looking for it. Stop swallowing grenades if you can't shit them, (laughs) so to speak. It's a little rough to find these people, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the reasons it's rough to find these people... See, I'm off politics, right? Why I'm off politics? Well, there's a number of reasons, and I won't go into them all. There's a whole list. But one of the important ones is people don't listen. People don't listen. And I'm not saying this about anybody in the chat here, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you listened to this and you listened well and all. But, but people don't listen. They don't listen. So, oh gosh, about 10 years ago, I gave a speech at Libertopia called How to Achieve Freedom. And I made this case in a wide variety of speeches and shows and podcasts and conversations and debates. I made this case and made this case and made this case and made this case. That the way that you shrink the power of the state is you attempt to waken people up to the violence that they are encouraging. The the, the demons they are summoning, the devils they are summoning by wanting the state to do things. Because every time somebody wants to pass a law to compel people to do X, Y, or Z, then they want you thrown in jail if you disagree with them. That's a basic fact. I said I made the argument over 10 years ago, publicly, repeatedly, and at great cost. You know, where does some of the cult stuff come from? I, you may have heard this garbage about, oh, he's a cult leader. Why? Because he's got a webcam and some syllables and a vaguely fruity accent. Well, it's because I said, no, you don't. If you pursue if you pursue virtue, you cannot have evil people in your life. Obviously, right? If you pursue virtue, you cannot have evil people in your life. If you define if you if you define virtue as the non-aggression principle, which is certainly necessary but not sufficient, right? You've got to at least not be violent to people if you want to be virtuous. Then people who advocate the use of violence, particularly against you, are immoral. Now, they're not aware that they're immoral, they're in a state of nature, they're propagandized. I understand all of that, and I sympathize, and I said at the time, hey man, take some time. Take some time to educate the people in your life about the evils that they support without knowing. Now, the left got incredibly enraged at me about this argument. Why? I know why. I knew at the time why. Why did the left get so enraged and try and shield everyone from getting this argument? Ooh, it's a cult leader, right? Why? Because they know, they know exactly how powerful this argument is. And now they're doing, now they're using it. They didn't want us using it before they did, right? (laughs) Right? You understand. They did not want us using it before they did. Hey, I'm going to distribute some rewards, just as I remember. I'm distributing some rewards. So, you got 20 seconds. New Jersey boys gifting five subscriptions. Be part of the hero sub family. Damn it, now I'm hungry. All right, we're going to have seven seconds here. Here we go, here we go. And then I'll continue. And then I'll take some Q&As. Thank you for your patience. There we go. 
60 lemons have been distributed. Sorry, it's an old U2 song. Oh shit, where was I? Oh yeah. So the left, you see, didn't want good people having the power of ostracism to advance their cause. They wanted to hold that weapon for themselves. I was kind of like an intellectual arms dealer arming the rebels. Oh no, he's a cult leader, so don't listen to him, right? Because I was right. And people didn't listen. Oh my, that's terrible. You, you can't have that kind of integrity. But I said, look, there's always an option. If you don't want to dissociate from people who are immoral in your life, people who advocate the use of violence against you, no problem. But then stop saying that you're into the non-aggression principle. Because you're not. Because I'm an empiricist. I don't care what people say. I care what they do. So if you're like, well, I'm into the non-aggression principle and the government is evil and taxation is force but I'm still total best buds with people who want to raise taxes on me and have me thrown in jail and possibly raped to death if I disagree with them. It's like, well, you got to pick one. Don't say you're into the non-aggression principle and then hang out with people who openly bay and cheer for the violation of that non-aggression principle, particularly when it's against you. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I was severe. I'm totally against communists. I'm totally against communism. I'm totally against communists. Hey, I'm going to a communist rally. My family are communists. <laughs> okay, then you're not that much against. If, if you don't want to live your values in your relationship, shut the fuck up about your values. Do you think I have people in my life who advocate the use of violence against me? Spoiler, I don't. So... I made this case that would have had us win. Publicly, repeatedly, emphatically, I made this case. And people were like, hmm, you know, that's a, that's a lot to ask. Well, I'm not asking, I'm just telling you the way things work. If you follow a particular ethic that defines X as evil, then you can't hang with people who do X after they're aware, after you've taught them, after they learn, right? People are like, well, that's crazy. Is it? You know, if the left gets their way, you're not going to get to see your family relatives anyway because you're going to be in a fucking gulag. <laughs> hey, look at that, family separation. There you go. And they probably all will be, and you drag them there because you wouldn't live with integrity, right? So... That's what integrity is. That's what it means. That you have a belief, you define X as evil. If people advocate X, you either have to give up the belief that X is evil, or you've got to disassociate from those people. If they won't learn and wake up, right? And now, of course, the left has been using this for years. You see, you understand that they got really mad at me for advancing this argument. Which I did, knowing it was going to cost me. Knowing it was going to, I mean, there's only so many fucking sacrifices I'm willing to make. If I'm looking left and right, and I'm getting bullets from both sides. Come on. <laughs> there's only so many bullets I'm willing to take. In other words, I still have to like the world in order to try and save it. And all the libertarians and other people who were like, well, that's crazy. He's a cult leader. I can't do anything. Okay, well. The left who attacked me for this is now deploying that very weapon because, of course, you want your opponents to be disarmed. Of course you do. <laughs> it's pretty bloody obvious, right? 
I mean, that's how World War I was won, was by choking off the uh, supply of goods and services and weapons to Germany. So. so, yeah, I mean, the left has been talking about this for years now. You could, you've got a Trump supporter dissociate from them. You've got to reject people. But you can lead a horse to water. You can make a drink and you can tell people the arguments, but you cannot have them follow it. So, yeah, we are the dead. Not totally, but on our way. And I think she gets that deep down. And it's not the death in the future, down the road, when we will no longer feel it that we fear. It is a death in the here and now that is forced upon us by the twin devils of greed and fear and violence. And the violence which works so well. So well. I bought a browser. I was going to look something up. Damn it, if I can remember what the hell that was going to be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't remember. Anyway, that's enough, I think, from me. And I appreciate your patience. I really do. It's really important stuff. Try and find a way to be alive in your life. If you can't have truth anywhere in your life, it's hard to say that you have much of a life at all. Don't you think parlor or an alternative can remove Twitter? So here's how it's going to work. You've got to understand the left is addicted to the power rush they get from being outraged, right? It's not about ideas. And listen, there are people on the right like this as well, so I don't mean to make it so bichromatic or whatever. But just in general, the, 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 the outrage mob, they're not, a, they're not correcting people. They are, and physically, dopamine is incredibly addictive, right? They are physically addicted to the rush they get from exercising power over others. You understand? This is well known to be physically addictive. Power corrupts because it's physically addictive. They are addicts. And of course, they lie, they cheat, they steal, all of it, because that's what addicts do. Go watch a couple of seasons of Intervention if you doubt what I'm talking about. That's what they do. And... <laughs> I mean, this is why I talked about what I call the against me argument. Do you support the use of force against me? Why? Because I'm not an idiot. I know how this stuff works. It's well established in the field of addiction that you've got to sit down you have an intervention. And what do you say? You say to someone who's addicted to some toxic substance, violence being number one, you say to them, hey, if you keep feeding your addiction, I can't have you in my life. I love you. I care for you. I wish you the very best. I hope that you will get treatment. But if you continue drinking, being promiscuous, doing drugs, gambling, whatever, if you continue to pursue this addiction, I'm cutting you off from my life. That's a loving thing to do. And what have we, why have we lost? We've lost because we didn't love enough. I told everyone how to love enough. I wrote a whole book called Real-Time Relationships, The Philosophy of Love. I told everyone, if you care for people, you've got to free them of this addiction of the state, of, the, of power, of, of control, of violence, of greed. If people are addicted to violence, if people are addicted to drugs, if they're addicted to alcohol and it's killing them, you have an intervention. And you say, give up this addiction or give me up, but you can't have both. You can't have me and the addiction. I'm not enabling this anymore. 
And that's what I can. So people, so um, the reason why this is important with regards to Twitter and Parler is that the prediction is blood simple, which is if a drug dealer is living next door to the drug addict and giving them free drugs, if the drug dealer moves three blocks over, does the drug addict say, well, I guess that's it. I'll just stop being addicted to this drug and get all better. No. What they do is they walk three blocks and they go there. So as more and more people leave uh, Facebook, and please follow me on Parler. I'm shutting down Facebook soon. But they're, they're addicted to the rush of dopamine and power that they get, or the, the rush of dopamine they get from exercising power over others. They're addicted to the outrage, which allows them to suspend their conscience in the pursuit of power. They're addicted to the verbal abuse. You understand that modern society is founded upon verbal abuse. The entire Biden campaign was founded on the fine people hoax. The complete deluded fantasy that Trump called Nazis and white supremacists fine people, which he didn't at Charlotte, Charlottesville. He didn't at all, right? I mean, he said they should be condemned totally. It's a hunt. No question, right? And I have no idea why he didn't just do a press conference and play that whole fucking tape and put that to bed. So they need the verbal abuse. So first they need to be outraged. And then they need the verbal abuse to scrub their conscience clean so that they can harm other people and feel like the good guys. Right? If, if you genuinely believe that Trump is Hitler, of course you're going to try and steal the election. I mean, wouldn't you and I, if we could prevent the rise of Stalin or Lenin or Hitler or Mao or, or King John I or whatever it was in North Korea, of course we would do like that, right? I mean, so... You need the outrage so that you can feel that you're being hurt. And then you need the verbal abuse back to label people as Nazis and white supremacists so that you can exercise power over them, which makes you the bad guy, but actually feel like the good guy. Because if you define your enemies as evil enough, then everything you do is justified. Because self-defense and it's preventing Nazis and fascists, right? You understand, this is why these words are deployed. Because if you define your enemies as evil enough, then by any means necessary becomes a valid moral strategy and you don't have to worry about that pesky little thing called empathy and conscience, right? So as people that they can abuse leave Twitter and leave Facebook and leave YouTube, it's pretty clear, wherever they go, they will be followed. As the drug dealer moves, so do the drug addicts. And as the people to abuse leave, so they will say, well, I can't just abuse people here because that's no fun and I'm not getting my drug. I'm not getting my dopamine of being outraged, verbally abusing people and then harming them. So I will now go. I mean, just think of lions and zebras, right? When the zebras migrate, the lions don't sit around and say, oh, shit, we're going to starve to death now, right? If the zebras move, what do the lions do? They pick up and follow them. Of course, right? And so the, the, new, the new tech platforms are going to need to just get ready. The, the, the civil war of the intellect is going to move to their platforms. Now, the difference is, that's a really, really important difference. It's a really, really important difference. So when companies get big, then, again, you get all of these mandates for hiring and quotas and diversity and women and blah, 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 right? And, you know, as I've talked about before in presentations, statistically, it's white males who are the most into free speech and no other group really comes that close. 
So, in the past, to build a Facebook, to build a Twitter, to build a YouTube, and by the way, these companies get massive subsidies in bandwidth and other money from the government. And to me, if you're taking subsidies from the government, then you shouldn't be denying people their free speech, right? But anyway, so it took a huge amount of coders. And when you get a very large workforce, then you've got to have all of these diversity mandates and so on. Now, the new technology for building, like, I don't know if you guys play uh, Among Us. I play sometimes with FDR listeners. It's a huge amount of fun. Um, it's a kind of space whodunit, which is really enjoyable. Now, there's some guy who created a 3D version of the game. It's a 2D platformer kind of game, but it's not really a video game. It's more of a um, fool people and lie and, you know, it's, it's really, it's a fun game. But um, some guy just went out there and built using Unity, which is now open source, has been since 2015. It's a video game building platform and it looks fantastic. Now, it used to be, I mean, I actually started as a programmer making video games. That was my original job, well, not job, hobby, when I was, when I was a teenager. I made some pretty good games, too. But, um, yeah, you accuse your friends of murder. It's actually, it's a really, really fun game. So this guy just went out and, you know, took him like a week. He just built a whole 3D game. Now, to build that 10 years ago would have taken a team of like 100 programmers, right? And so now the, the new, the, the servers, the hardware, the infrastructure, and particularly the programming languages, the DLLs, the APIs, the interconnected programming capacities, the, the programs that program themselves, which is stuff that I worked on a lot, uh, writing code to write code, writing code to build applications was my major specialty when I was in uh, IT as a, uh, the manager or the, the uh, chief technical officer and manager of the R&D team. I was building software to build software. So I know this really well. And so now the tools are so incredible for building these platforms that you can keep your workforce small. Now, if you can keep your workforce small, then you don't have to have all the diversity stuff. You don't have to have all the political stuff. You don't create that portal of HR wherein censorship comes rushing in. You don't. So it's entirely possible that these companies may escape if the founders remain strong. And I, I have a good deal of respect for them. And I think that they're founders of most of these companies. Not that I know them all individually or anything like that, but I think they're really, really great people in many ways. So they're going to try and follow the people that they can control because that's their addiction. And as people leave Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, then the dopamine supply of controlling other people is going to diminish and they're going to start running over and rushing over to try and control everyone else. And normally that would work because the companies would be so big that they'd be subject to all of these hiring mandates. But, and again, please understand, there are plenty of women and, and minorities who are totally into free speech and plenty of white males who aren't. But, you know, again, it's a 5149, but... In a large enough number set, this, this can really make a difference. So I think that the new platforms probably have a much longer life cycle of remaining bastions of free speech, plus they're founded as bastions of free speech, right? So uh, Facebook, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they were founded and they became free speech platforms, but they weren't founded in response to a lack of free speech, right? So, you know, the new ones... Right. Uh, I will. I will just read off here. Uh, 
the ones that I'm in, just so people can um, can check these out, because it's really pretty pretty important, right? So videos, of course, DLive, uh, DLive.tv uh, forward slash free domain. I'm on BitChute, Library, LBRY, Streamanity, Locals, Brightian, Dailymotion, and Rumble. For my networks, I'm on Parler, Steemit, Instagram, MeWe, ThinkSpot, Minds, Gab, PocketNet, Twitch, and Float, F-L-O-T-E. And uh, these are very important uh, things to follow. Now, these platforms were developed in many ways as a reaction to increasing censorship. So they're founded by people who give two shits and a half about free speech. And again, they can keep their headcount small enough that they can maintain integrity. It's very much hard. It's very hard to maintain integrity in a larger organization. So I think that there's some real possibility that they could stand the test of time. So that's my particular thoughts about that. Other questions? Uh, I'm very, very happy to take uh, more of your questions if there's anything that I can do that would be uh, helpful. Yeah, I don't know the Bill Gates thing. So the Bill Gates, I don't know much about Bill Gates. Um, I saw him speak once at a tech conference back when I was in the IT world. But um, James Corbett, I think, has done a whole series on him that I'm I've only heard of, but I don't know about. But the funny thing with Bill Gates, so Bill Gates got kind of pretty heavy red-pilled on the power of the state through the DOJ investigations into Microsoft, which went on for quite a long time and were uh, very, very tough and caused them to entirely fumble the Windows phone situation. And I don't know what's happened to Bill Gates and why he's gone all kinds of uh, status-friendly and and uh, all kinds of vaccine all of that. I mean, I don't know much about the guy as far as why that has all happened. I don't know. Maybe they got something on him. I don't know. Right? I just don't know. Um, all right. I, and I will listen. I will publish this. I'm doing a local recording as well, which is going to be even higher def. So I will publish this um, to my channels when I'm done with this. Somebody says I'm addicted to movies and TV shows. Yeah. You know, and that there's nothing wrong with movies and TV shows. Um, I still watch a couple of shows. I don't really watch movies anymore, but I mean, I'll watch an old movie, but, uh, the new movies, the new movie, everything's so predictable. Everything's so predictable. You can't show gay people as having problems. You can't show the physical abuse that is most common in lesbian relationships. You simply, you just can't say anything that's true. Everything is fear-based in art these days. Everything is, oh, but what if we upset this group? Or what if we upset that group? Which is why white Christian males are always the villains and, uh, all that, right? So... Um, yeah, they're just so boring, and it's just like politically correct. They're not ex- interested in exploring the human condition and figuring out any kind of facts about society. They're just interested in making a couple of bucks and avoiding blowback from the uh, control freaks. All right. I watched your truth about abortion with my girlfriend. Hmm. <laughs> Romantic. <laughs> all right, let's see here. Pretty much all of these platforms depend on the other, on other services to stay up, though. Uh, yes, uh, there is certainly that. Uh, that is kind of the case as well, right? So, but uh, again, those other services, they will also find alternatives. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an underground, right? This is the real resistance. This is the actual resistance. Um, let's see here. His father was into eugenics. That's Bill Gates's father, right? Yeah, I think I've heard about that. Stefan, will you ever come to Europe again? You should do a speech in Sweden. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been home pretty much this whole year, and um, that's been kind of unusual for me because I'm normally off gallivanting around doing documentaries and, and speeches and so on. But um, 
you know, it, it only takes a couple of hyper-violent deplatformings uh, in, in the physical arena to make it rather... It's the whole point. Violence works, right? I don't mind particularly... I don't like it, of course, but I don't, I've given speeches when there have been bomb threats and death threats and all of that. I gave those in Detroit some years back ago for a men's rights conference. So... But, you know, it's pretty tough to go out and plan and have people buy tickets and, and have people, uh, you know, and then just have venues pulled because of, uh, you know, massive uh, threats and all of that. So, you know, I'm sorry, like, I, you know, it, it's, it would be fun to do a, a speech in Sweden for sure, but um, the odds of it actually going through unless things start to change are uh, pretty low. So I'll just be straight up. Uh, let's see here. Don't give up, Steph. Don't give up. Okay, the alt tech will take over and you will be back in free speech haven from 2011 to 2016. Oh, yeah, going forward? We shall see. Uh, Steph, is it true lefties operate on wants, desires, and amorality rather than truth, morality, and immorality? So most of the left are atheists, and atheists operate on a mammalian or Nietzschean will-to-power basis. They don't have any abstract ethics that are worth really suffering for, worth really suffering for, right? So, you know, you've got people like Richard Dawkins who used to, and I don't know if he still does, because he got a lot of money from the government, right? And so if you say, well, taxation is force and you're getting ill-gotten gains and so on, I mean, he would never want to listen to that. Because when you take, see, the, the Christians operate on innate virtues, but also they operate on the pleasure principle the uh, pleasure-pain principle of heaven and hell, right? And ostracism from God and from community, which is, you know, if the heart and mind falter, if you have them by the balls, you've still got them, right? And so uh, if the abstract virtues and values aren't quite enough, then, you know, fear of hell, fear of ostracism by your community, ostracism from God, uh, rejection from Jesus, that's enough for a lot of... So... The atheists don't have the same abstract values, and they also don't have, and I offered this to the atheist community, the ostracism power, the power of ostracism, which they didn't want, maybe because they've been rejected a lot as kids. I don't know, can't really psychologize groups or even individuals that you don't know particularly well. So the uh, atheists, or the leftists, and they too tend generally correlate, uh, they are, like, what is to stop them from doing things that are wrong? What is to stop atheists from stealing an election. Well, Christians, thou shalt not bear false witness. And God is watching. God sees what I'm doing. God will punish me. I will go to hell. I will not get into heaven. I will not see my relatives. There's all of that stuff, right? You can say, ah, but that's false. Philosophically, okay, but putting that aside for a moment, right? They have extrapolated what's called, something in psychology is called the observing ego, right? The observing ego. And the observing ego is when you observe yourself doing something and you can compare either existing behaviors or proposed behaviors to an ideal standard. Right? Thou, thou shalt not bear false witness, which was the most powerful commandment for me uh, growing up as a staunch Christian. Right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, what happens if a Christian lies, cheats, steals, whole dominoes of negative consequences? Because God is the abstraction of moral principles to the observing ego. Now, whether you view that as a metaphysical process that God exists, or you view that as a psychological process, either way, it's very powerful. Now, the atheists neither have the absolute moral principles, nor the observing ego in the form of God. 
So it's the old question that if you can get away with it, why wouldn't you? Well, if you look at the animal kingdom, deceit, lies, predation, exploitation is the rule of the game. It's the rule of the game. I mean, the, the tiger with his stripes to hide in the grass, it's cheating, man. <laughs> it's cheating. Well, that's how you get your prey, right? The, the, uh, the, the rabbit zigzagging as the wolves chase it. It's like, hey, man, you keep changing direction. That's not fair because we've got more mass and greater inertia and we can't turn as quick. Like, hey, hey, man, that's the name of the game. If you can steal and get away with it, nobody's watching in the atheist universe. Nobody's evaluating you. If you can get away with stealing something, it's kind of the same as if it never happened. Say, ah, oh, yes, but empathy and this and that. Okay, I get all of that. And there, like, there are some good atheists and bad religious people. I get all of that for sure. But in general, as a whole, there's nobody watching. And there are no existential punishments. There's no moral force in the universe. You cannot get an ought from an is in the atheist formulation. There is no moral arc to the universe. Yes, oh, the, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Bullshit. Now, in the Christian world, you can make those statements by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., right? But in the atheist world, what stops you? Well, <laughs> see, the atheist trick or the, 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 the secular trick of demonizing your opponents, which also happens in other religions as well, right? So the, the trick of demonizing your opponents to the point where you can strip yourself free of your conscience is a very powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing. To overvault your own conscience, to become one of Nietzsche's Ubermensch or Superman, the man beyond good and evil, to overleap your own conscience, crime and punishment, Raskolnikov killing a pawnbroker style, to overleap your own conscience gives you an incredibly muscular, reptilian, virile power in this world because you're not held back by any scruples. Sociopathy is simply man without conscience. Man as incredibly cunning and camouflaged through language animal. What stops you? Nobody's watching you. There are no points for good or bad behavior. There's no existential punishments. There's no morality. See, for the Christian, morality is the foundation of the universe, and the material aspect is simply a shadow cast by the giant obelisk of morality. God's moral law, God's moral existence, God's moral purpose. To the atheist, I mean, I, don't, I gave atheists the moral law, universally preferable behavior. They didn't want it. They mocked, they scorned, they attacked, they ridiculed. I, they didn't want it. It's kind of demonic, right? Now, the devil, in a sense, understands morality as a weapon to be used against the moral, not as something he has to follow himself. So, yeah. What is, uh, what is to stop an atheist from doing something immoral? It's like saying, well, it's not fair for the cuckoo to lay its egg in another bird's nest. But that's not fair. That's not right. But it's exploiting. It's exploiting the, the, the cuckoo bird. I mean, the other bird. That's not right. What does that even mean in nature? It's not right. Does it work? Does it allow for the continued transmission of your genetic stock? <laughs> That's what's right in the natural world. And it's not even to say it's right. Is it effective? Is it powerful? And all that, right? So.
Let's see here. Christianity is a foundational pillar of Western civilization, which is why it has been so demonized. Well, see, this is the other thing, right? See, the other thing with religions is that when it comes to... Sorry, there's a point. I knew there was a point I missed. Let me just skip back for a sec because I wanted to mention this. When you demonize your enemies to the point where you can outstrip or eliminate your own conscience and your own empathy, when you have the same relationship with someone else that the lion has with its prey, as if the lion empathizes with the prey, it can't eat the zebra. Zebra doesn't want to be eaten, so if the lion empathizes with its prey, it can't eat, this, can't eat it, right? And so if you can convince yourself that those who oppose you are irredeemably and bottomlessly evil, then you can do whatever you want to harm them, to undermine them, to advance your own interests, which are always virtuous at the expense of others, which are always evil. Now, of course, the lion doesn't call the zebra evil. That's a trick of modern sophistry, to use moral language to overstrip the conscience. But here's the thing. See, Christianity short-circuits that whole process. This is one of the most amazingly powerful things about Christianity. Christianity says, no, 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 I'm sorry. I know you want to demonize your enemy and thus exist without a conscience. I know you want to uncork the demonic side and the mammalian side and the reptilian side of your own nature and have a whatever-it-takes-do-whatever-to-win mentality. I know you want to shrug off your conscience like a weary backpacker with an 80-pound pack. I get that, but you can't. And you know why? Because the commandment is, you know what it is. <laughs> you know what it is as well as I do. The commandment is, love thy enemies. You watch Jack Posobiec, right? This person is a bad person. I will pray for him. You see this all the time. And the Christians are beautiful people for the most part in this realm. You cannot hate your enemy. Now, if you can't hate your enemy, then you can't demonize them to the point where you can commit evil against them regardless of the consequences. There's no, thou shalt not bear false witness unless CNN tells you someone is a Nazi. <laughs> There's no asterisk there, right? Thou shalt not steal unless 51% of the people somehow vote for it after being propagandized by government schools, right? Love thy enemy equals weakness. So, I mean, this is the tension between Christianity and the rest of the world. That Christianity is universal and the rest of the world tends to be tribal in-group preference. And that is a big challenge. How do you prevent landlord oligarchs from forming in a voluntary society if you allow the real estate market? So the answer to that is one syllable thing called churn. So let's say you have some complete genius guy who's just able to buy up because he's so efficient and amazing and incredible and smart and all that. He's able to buy up a whole bunch of apartment buildings. We just wait. His kids, regression to the mean, man. His kids simply won't be that smart and it won't last. Uh, look at my presentation on the DOJ, the antitrust stuff versus Google because I go into churn there. It's very, very important. Whatever you dislike in the market, you just wait 5, 10, or 15 years, maybe 20 years, maybe even 30 and it's all going to churn. It's all going to churn. All right, so let's see here. Jack Posobiec, yeah, One America News Network. He's also often on Steve Bannon's show, War Room Pandemic, and they also got yeeted from YouTube, I think. 
Steph, you had the conversation about forgiving your enemy with Jesse Lee Peterson. You kept your word when promising to consider it. It is something I struggle with, but those struggles are good because it means you've got a conscience, right? How would one prevent one's daughter from becoming promiscuous when she gets into that age for dating, etc.? Well, um, the stronger the bond with the parent, the less likelihood she is to go and try and find a masculine bond with some hairy-legged boy who just wants to grab at her ass. So you have a high-quality relationship. First of all, be a great guy, and then your daughter will forever be comparing other men to you, which is my, my daughter's going to be a nun. <laughs> so the high-quality relationship will keep the boys at bay because she'll just look at them and be like, yeah, sorry, you're just like, not, not that great. And I'm sorry, too, because somebody wrote to me, and um, I've just, I have a lot of paperwork to do, lady. But anyway, so somebody wrote to me about, I know this is buried in, maybe you'll never see it, but they wrote to me about their uh, kid who's a baby, a toddler, really hates getting into the car seat. How, how do you deal with that? Well, you have to try and find a way to make the car ride enjoyable for your kid, right? You just have to, right? I mean, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? So um, when my daughter was little, my wife would drive and I would sit in the back seat with her, my daughter, that is, or I would drive and my wife would sit in the back seat and we'd play, we'd chat, we'd tickle her toes and, and all of that, read to her. And so she didn't hate the car in that sense because it was another fun place to, to enjoy herself with. Uh, hey, Steph, you were just interviewed by Piero San Giorgio. Do you know about Varg Vikerns? I do not know about Varg Vikerns. War Room Pandemic is still on YouTube. I just watched them four episodes today alone. Oh, okay. So then, um, good. I guess maybe they just got a temp ban or something like that. And it was not particularly wise, if I don't, if you don't mind me saying so, for Steve Bannon to suggest uh, Fauci's head on a stick. Not, not wise. Do you still think Trump will get another four years? Well... Um, this is perilously close to politics, so I'll keep it brief, but uh, I will say this. So not many people know the whole process that's supposed to occur here. I mean, the media is certainly not in educating anyone about anything, right? So twice before in American history, a um, an election has been heavily contested, right? It's not a law, but it's kind of a tradition that the election lasts until somebody gives a concession speech, which is why Hillary Clinton said to Joe Biden, do not under any circumstances, under any circumstances, concede. Because the moment you concede, it's over, and it's done, and the next uh, person begins the, the job, right? So the way it works, uh, there's a whole bunch of legal exhaustion, legal proceedings and go on, but the entire, basically the entire um, election can be invalidated as far as the population voting goes, and then it goes to a vote from the states. And it's not a, um, and this is off the top of my head, so I'm sorry if I get a few details wrong, but it's not a vote based upon the electoral college. It's not disproportionate to population or anything. It's simply a one vote per state determines the president and the majority of those states are Republican. So that's his, his end game. And what I would say is that I cannot, I, I can predict, you know, I believe that Trump got the votes, right? I believe what everyone saw Tuesday night right, a week and a half ago. I, I, I believe what everyone saw, which is that Trump was way ahead. And then, you know, they stopped counting. They sent all of the uh, observers home, and then they just kept counting, right? And then there was this burst water pipe, which turns out to have just been a slow leak. There's no work order for it or anything like that. There's a bunch of stuff that's kind of hinky. So I can tell you that in my particular opinion, uh, Trump got the votes and he got the Electoral College. I believe he actually got over 300, but, you know, that's going to be resolved through lawsuits, uh, through the courts, uh, through a variety of things. And it is kind of ironic that Joe Biden, who led the Anita Hill charge against the basically virtual lynching of Clarence Thomas, 
And now Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court may have the deciding vote about whether or not Joe Biden becomes president. Uh, that's going to be pretty interesting to see. Of course, the um, the uh, leftists are already demanding that Clarence Thomas recuse himself <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, right? So what I would say is um, you can't predict what's going to happen when the pressure is brought to bear on the judge who has to put his signature on whether Trump basically becomes president or not. Can you imagine the amount of pressure and threats and, and God knows what is going to be applied against that individual or group of individuals? I mean, it's going to make Kavanaugh look like a tea party. So I can tell you that I think that Trump got the votes and we'll sort of see as the legal process goes on and some of the stuff, you know, the hundreds of affidavits, which apparently is not evidence, but temperature projections 100 years in the future somehow are. So we'll see how the legal process rolls out. This is why it's not a place for arguments. It's a place for legal arguments, which are really in many ways the opposite of philosophical arguments. And um, because philosophical arguments don't have the compulsion of law behind them, right? So, so I can tell you what I think the, the moral arguments, the factual arguments, the statistical arguments are, what I can tell you is whether anyone's going to enforce anything. You could very much tell that, at least in my view, that, that uh, Hillary Clinton uh, broke the law and in the most egregious ways by mishandling classified information. But then James Comey kind of sailed in and made up this imaginary standard called intent, which he didn't mean to. <laughs> that doesn't exist as far as I know in the law. I'm no lawyer. As far as I exist, it doesn't, right? So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. If it comes down to a number of individuals, then those individuals are going to get a massive, staggering amounts of pressure brought to bear on them, and it'll be a no-holds-barred uh, shark attack. It'll be a feeding frenzy on the gizzards and souls and families of the people who have to make this, uh, these decisions. And uh, we, shall, uh, we shall see. We shall see. The House of Representatives is supposed to decide? Yeah. Do you think voting is actually above board on any level? Or is it a show for slaves to feel like they're in control? Well, see, I thought that way. You know, one of my big videos in the early days, back in 2007 or something like that, was a, a video where I had a rant about Don't Beg for Candy called The Truth About Voting. You can go and find it on my video sites, The Truth About Voting. And yeah, I felt that uh, pretty strongly. I didn't get that much involved in the Obama versus Bush or the Obama versus... Uh, Romney, or I think that was it, McCain, I can't remember. No, so I uh, didn't really get that involved in, in politics as far as just, you know, out, outlining the absurdity of it all. But, uh, you no, know, Trump, was, Trump was a wild card. Trump was someone who came in who was not a professional politician. Trump was someone who came in who had himself been mentored by a fervent anti-communist. And Trump was someone who was very intelligent and very competent. And I was really quite interested to see what would happen when the unstoppable force of Trump met the immovable object of the deep state. And uh, I'm very happy to have uh, told the truth about uh, that stuff and very happy to have seen what happened. Um, the problem now, of course, in America is that no matter what happens, half of the population isn't going to accept the election. Well, that's, just, that's just a fact. We all have to wake up and, and be aware of and, and process, right? So if Trump gets in, the left isn't going to accept the election. Not that they did for the last four years, but it's going to be even worse. And if uh, Biden gets in, then the Trump uh, people aren't going to accept the election. And the, the, the state has taken a mortal blow in terms of its legitimacy. So uh, let's see here. If Trump doesn't win, do you think he will start declassifying everything? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. 
But uh, if Trump, so if Trump doesn't win, people talk about him running in 2024, it's not going to happen. I mean, it might happen. But uh, if Biden gets in, he's just going to legalize the illegals and he's going to bring in more people that the demographics going to shift to the point where the Republican Party is over. So. All right. Uh, any other quick last question or two? My family's baking some cookies and it's time for me to go and get my back fat on. What do you think of Linwood and Sidney Powell released the Kraken? Uh, I know Sidney Powell, not obviously personally, but um, uh, Mike, Mike Flynn's lawyer and a really, really great uh, woman. I don't know anything about the other thing. Sorry. Uh, see, I remember that you got behind Trump's first campaign. Uh, you know, that's that's a simplistic way. I'm sorry to be annoying. But that is a very simplistic way. To, having been lied about by the media so much, I wanted to set the story straight. I mean, if they'd been lying about a, a socialist that much, I would have told set the story straight. Uh, what's your opinion on all these right-wing pundits? Ben Shapiro, Mike Cernovich, Dave Rubin, Steve Crowder, and Tucker Carlson, etc. Uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that one for now, because that's a big thing. Uh, you should do more of these, Steph. Yeah, you know I should. Uh, um, okay, you tell me, you, uh, since I'm, you know, I'm all about the listening, right? You tell me, you tell me, um, if you could, uh, like, well, what's a good night? What's a good night for you guys? So I do shows... 7 p.m. Friday, 11 a.m. Sunday for North American and European listeners. What would be a good night for you for me to do these? Maybe I could set up a sort of more regular schedule and, and do this. I didn't mean to phrase it that way, but it was your first turn towards covering politics in depth. I'm, again, I'm sorry to be annoying, but I did a true news series that really was when the show started off, and I think that was either 2011 or something like that, so it was long. Wednesdays? Uh, Fridays, I've already got a show. Weekends is better. Only Saturday night. No, you guys are too busy going out to raves. Wednesdays? Wednesdays. Okay, uh, maybe we should do something Wednesday. Maybe we do Wednesday like 7 p.m. Eastern. Would that, would that work? Well, you know what? I won't just sit here and stare. And, <laughs> but, you know, you can email me, operations at freedomain.com. And uh, you can uh, just let me know what is a good night. Maybe we should set this up more regularly. I certainly really, really enjoy it. You guys are a great audience. And I absolutely love chatting with you guys and all of that. So. Uh, God damn it, I know, but it was the full it was the full election year coverage. Is that better? Yes. And again, I'm so, really sorry to be such a nitpicker, but I can't pick my nose, so I've got to pick a true text. All right. Um, Friday is okay. No, Friday I've already got a show. Sorry. Um, yeah, Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday, seven p.m. All right. Let's uh, let's take that for a spin. Let's take that. Maybe I would uh, get the listen. It's great to have a couple of hundred people on here. It used to be a couple of thousand. That's all right. That's all right. You know, Meatloaf doesn't play stadiums anymore. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for everyone. Uh, it was a really, really pleasure, a great pleasure to chat with you guys. Thank you for, I won't say indulging my rant because I think I don't want to be disrespectful to, to things that I've said. Okay, any, anything else to distribute? I don't think there is enough, right? I don't think so. Yeah, follow me. Follow me. I will follow. Oh yeah, boy, Phil Collins. Let's do a whole show on exactly how miserable that guy's life turned out. Oof. Uh, but yes, thank you guys so much. My husband and I always enjoy your live streams together. I appreciate that. So um, have yourselves a wonderful evening. Please don't forget uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Hey, let me put that back up here. That way I may not have to uh, uh, redo all of this uh, stuff. Yeah, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I would really, really appreciate that. And you can follow me at freedomain.com forward slash connect. Have a juicy evening. I love you guys so much. And... Um, I will talk to you soon.
Bye, take care.